Hello and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy people healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster. I'm a nutritional therapist on Harley Street, London, specialising in fat loss, gut health and hormone optimization therapy for the over 40s. I specialise in executives and entrepreneurs and something that has come more to my attention is the importance of mental health. And last week we had the pleasure of having World Mental Health Day, which raised a lot of awareness around anxiety, depression, and also actually ADHD. And adult ADHD has been something that hasn't been spoken about enough and has been spoken about more, thankfully, in the last year or so. And on the attitudemag.com, which specializes in ADHD, 4.4% of the adult US population has ADHD, but less than 20% of these individuals seek help for it. 41.3% of adult ADHD cases are considered severe, and during their lifetimes, 12.9% of men will be diagnosed with ADHD, compared to 4.9% of women. Now, I hope I held your attention long enough to listen through those statistics and get on to my introduction to my amazing speaker and guest for today, Dr. Anand Raghunathan. You're a consultant psychiatrist with more than 20 years of clinical experience within the National Health Service and the independent sector. You have a broad spectrum of clients, both inpatient and outpatient settings, and have worked in the fields of neuropsychiatry, acute rehabilitation, liaison and psychiatric intensive care. As a member of the Royal College of Psychiatric Adult ADHD in a special interest group and of course also the Adult ADHD Network Eastern Division, you provide educational supervision to psychiatric trainees and medical students from Cambridge University. You're so actively involved. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. No problem. Thank you very much for having me, Stephanie. So tell us what brought you into psychiatry in general. What made you want to study the mind? Okay, well, that's a really good start. I think I had to really take you back and the listeners back to my medical school time um, because when I was doing my medicine in the southern part of India, it is highly uh, clinical. You're focusing on a lot of textbook reading of general medicine and surgery and various things. And in the final year, we had an optional placement of one month of doing something different. So a small group of students, we chose psychiatry because we thought we could easily get away with not doing those classes. But when we went there, it was so interesting because it's so different from what you normally see in your day-to-day clinical practice. It's a lot of science, but it's also a lot of interaction with humans. It's almost, I would it's a little bit of science interacting with art. So it really kind of interested me. Then before I came to UK, I think it's in 1998, I did six months, like a voluntary stroke and later part paid employment in a mental health hospital in the southern part of India, which really kind of made me want to come into psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is a start. And then when I came to UK, you know, I was lucky to get my first job in what we call a training scheme. And you know, I never look back. I thoroughly enjoy it, even today, you know, as a psychiatrist, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. And we're here today to discuss the ADHD disorder. So yep. let's, let's explain a little bit what ADHD is and how that manifests itself. Sure. So as people know, ADHD is a short form of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. 
So the, the theory behind ADHD is generally called as a behavioral disorder, although a lot of research also points towards a neurodevelopmental delay or abnormality. But generally for classification purposes, it's called a behavioral disorder. And the key areas we know where the ADHD symptom manifest is the inattentiveness, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of onset, if you look at it, it can start as early as six years and generally diagnosed in children between the age of six to 12. It's a very, very key to understand that even in adults, if you look back, the onset could be much, much earlier, you know, from the age of six to 12. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, people with treatment or sometimes even without treatment, they can improve with age, but a small group of people can progress into adult with symptoms right from younger age and continue to suffer with symptoms as they grow into the adult age. And you are finding people in their 30s and 40s coming to your practice with a diagnosis or you, after they've seen you, they would have a diagnosis perhaps of ADHD. And does that mean that it was not diagnosed in their adolescence or in their childhood? Um, it's usually that either they're not diagnosed or diagnosed with something different. A lot of my clients, when I do the assessment, particularly when I look back at like the, like in a history from primary and secondary school, they will simply say, oh, I was labeled as a naughty kid, the troublemaker, the one who doesn't fit in. You know, there's a lot of descriptions of that. Well, you know, these people have unfortunately suffered with ADHD symptoms during their, you know, adolescent age or childhood and, uh, you know, as a teenager, but not probably diagnosed for various reasons. And then eventually they come to the attention of either NHS practice or private practice and get diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So why do they come to you in their 30s and 40s when, if they believe that they've been relatively fine all their lives or they believe that they were just the naughty kid at school... What would trigger somebody to come and see you when they're 30 and 40? Okay, so for example, you know, if they're labeled as naughty or troublemakers in the school and they would think or the parents would think they will grow out of it as they grow older Mm -hmm. because you're supposed to be more responsible as you grow older. So when they come to university or they take a job, sometimes what you notice is as you grow older and the responsibility comes in, they may be able to manage some of the hyperactivity and the impulsiveness because they know that they, that kind of symptoms can get them into more trouble. What I see more commonly is the inattentiveness or lack of attention, concentration, being forgetful, gets them into a lot of difficulties in their adult life, particularly when they're at work or personal life or social life. And I see more and more even younger age group of university students really struggling in university with coursework and that's how they realize something is not right with them. Mm-hmm. But also what you see is a slightly different group of people get misdiagnosed with various other psychiatric conditions, such as, for example, anxiety, mood disorders, even bipolar disorder or even personality disorder. And going through a range of treatment for those conditions, they realize the conditions are not improving or getting worsened, and so they want to you know, sort of review the psychiatric diagnosis. And those types of people sometimes, you know, if you look at it carefully, they probably have ADHD but wrongly diagnosed. 
I mean, the wrong diagnosis can be really problematic with this with this um, condition. Exactly. I see a lot of my clients uh, taking antidepressant, coming to the clinic saying that I have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety. I'm not saying they're completely wrongly diagnosed. Those could be the secondary symptoms of a primary diagnosis of ADHD. But what has happened is they've been treated for the mood disorders and anxiety disorders, which are secondary to the ADHD. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's different. ADHD in women and men, there are different symptoms and the diagnosis could be different. Is that correct? Yes, I think I, I, if I want to say that, it's probably the women who gets the, the brunt of the diagnosis in the sense they, their symptoms can be more easily misinterpreted uh, both by clinicians and you know, people around them as mood disorders, anxiety disorders, because they're more emotionally reactive to the symptoms, not only just ADHD symptoms. Um, they might feel that they have a greater sense of guilt or you know, more reactive to criticism or reduction of ADHD symptoms. For example, you know, if, if there is a woman who's in the house doing all the housework, she may feel like she gets easily labeled all other kind of things because she's struggling to just keep up with, you know, running the house and her day-to-day job as well. And you have to also add to that the hormonal fluctuations, which can affect the women's symptoms as well. So what I tend to see in my clinical practice is women comes with more of what we call as comorbid um, symptoms, like more anxiety, mood disorders, generally difficulty in coping with the symptoms. So if somebody's listening to this, let's talk about Mm. the symptoms for a minute. And they're thinking, you know, I have been on antidepressants for a while now, and I feel good, but I know I can feel better, and I just can't put my finger on it, or I keep forgetting my key, I seem to be a mess. What symptoms could they be experiencing now that could... Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe indicate that it would be worth their while coming to see you for a possible diagnosis? So if you look at it day-to-day wise, uh, let's talk about the inattentiveness symptoms. So what they probably would say is they really struggle to focus on uh, a particular task for more than a few seconds or minutes. Uh, and a typical day would be they'll start off doing one thing at home uh, and then they'll say, oh, I forgot to do something else. They move on to something else. They move on to third, fourth, five, sometimes up to ten different things. They suddenly realize they're not even finished the first thing. Mm-hmm. So it could be like, say, for example, women with children, family, etc. They could be doing so many tasks you have to do in the home, but with ADHD and not able to focus and not able to pay attention, and adding on the memory problems, they could be getting into a complete muddle in the morning. You know, even before setting off to their day-to-day work, and. Then the next bit is I hear a lot of women say that oh, I, I'm in office, I work, I can't concentrate on meetings, or I get easily distracted by people talking around or internal distractions. And over a period of time, they see their performance level at work drops. And that's when they feel like there is something not right. Yes, absolutely. And really, the anxiety and the depression that comes thereafter is from the exactly sense of that. inability to cope. So the stress that's caused because they know that the situation around themselves requires more of them than they feel they're capable to deliver? Is that something that you think is... Absolutely, but also a lot of people know that they have the capability and ability to deal with this, but for some reason which they're not able to understand at the time, they really struggle in their life in many aspects, both personal life, social life, and they find a work life, 
And for them, this, you know, cope with these day-to-day tasks and symptoms lead to what he described as like an anxiety and depression. And what happens invariably, the anxiety and depression get treated, but not the primary cause. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say, I'm not here because I like my clients to get diagnosed or I'm not all for the labelling of people. But the the reality is, if you know that you're not living to your full potential and you get a diagnosis, it can be such a relief under, trying to understand yourself as to why you are the way you are. So it's not really about labelling and I don't really care about... Um, having all these unnecessary tests if you don't believe in it. It's just, this is really for those who feel that um, so- something's not quite right. So, um, and the other thing I want to discuss is the stigma around ADHD. And it's been quite interesting seeing some celebrities speak so openly about their inability to pay attention and how they've been diagnosed with ADHD. So let- let's talk a little bit about the media and the press and how ADHD has become more prevalent in recent years. Yes, yeah. Um, we noticed that particularly in the last, I would say, five to ten years, there has been an increasing number of people coming to various clinics asking to either have like a, a diagnostic test done. They, they basically want to know whether they have ADHD or not. And some people will have experience of their families or friends being, you know, diagnosed and even on treatment. And that is getting more and more common, as you said, there is a media attention. But I believe there is a greater understanding because these days have more information available on the internet, so you can easily Google most of the things and have an understanding. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a, a combination of general awareness, not just in the clinicians, but people who are suffering with ADHD-type symptoms. And as you said, like in the media attentions, celebrities talking about not just ADHD, a lot of mental health symptoms, mm-hmm. I think has helped in one way of people to come out of the shell and start talking about, you know, I need to get this checked mm-hmm. you know, rather than continue to suffer with these symptoms. So let's say somebody comes to see you and they get diagnosed with ADHD. What would be the treatments available? Is it talk therapy? Sure. Is it medication? And is there an appropriate time to use both or neither? Absolutely. So what we generally do is we follow a strict uh, sort of like a practice guidelines along our National Institute of Clinical Excellence guidelines and various things. So the first point, because as you said, is all about diagnostic clarification to rule in or rule out the presence of ADHD and any other psychiatric diagnosis as well. And then we talk about treatment options. So it allows a person to go and think about various treatments available. As you mentioned, the medications, a lot of research evidence to say medication does help. Then the equal importance to psychological treatments such as mindfulness, coaching, cognitive behavior therapy. These are the few kind of like, you know, various types of psychological treatment available. But in my experience, a combination of medication and psychological treatment works better rather than just one on its own. And in the event that somebody's listening to this, and most of my listeners prefer holistic or non-medicated approaches or shall we say more natural ways to cure their their, uh, malaises would there be approaches like that that you would recommend absolutely as i said you know from from my point of view in our clinics we don't enforce any particular type of treatment it's about joint working 
So it's like the person who comes with the problem are like our main primary focus. So we always say to them, these are the options available. These are the ones we would think it work for you. But by the end of the day, it's your choice and you want to try different things. The holistic approach is something we strongly recommend, you know, apart from medication and psychological treatment. For example, mindfulness is something is more and more happening, not just in mental health settings, but in schools, universities, at workplace. A lot of people know what mindfulness is. There are other things like improving working memory for people suffering with like memory problems. Exercise and diet is a very, very key thing. There's a lot of research evidence on exercise having a positive influence on having a structure for your day, improving your brain activity, improving your focus and concentration. Diet, again, people could be allergic to certain diets which could cause problems, or generally having a healthy, balanced diet itself can help ADHD symptoms. And that's really why I chose you to come onto the podcast, because unlike uh, mainstream or more traditional approaches where medication is the first line of defense, you actually take... Uh, a more holistic view and only use medication if absolutely necessary. And I think that's really commendable. Absolutely. As I said, you know, by end of the day, we want uh, the person who is suffering with ADHD symptoms to get better. And I think they need to feel confident both in themselves and the practitioner to say, I want to try holistic approach first, if that's what their preferred choice is, before going down the route of medication. I think whatever suits an individual is the key. Absolutely. And it's that personalized approach that is so prevalent in the ADHD Center, where they can get hold of you. So ADHDcenter.co.uk. Yes, yeah. And if people visit their website or talk to, you know, the one of the staff in ADHD, they're very, very helpful and supportive. You will get a lot of information, not only just on ADHD diagnosis, as you mentioned, treatment. Um, and medication is just a smaller part of treatment. Then you've got psychological treatment diet, exercise, support groups, so you can join a lot of forums or support groups where people with similar experiences share their experience of various treatments, what has worked for them, etc. And also there's Skype consultations that you provide for those who aren't able to visit you in person on Wimpole Street, which uh, is a a nice flexible way to, to get treatment. Yes, it's something it's uh, recently started. So I'm one of the clinicians who does predominantly Skype-based assessments. But as I said, the in-person clinics are in Binpole Street in Manchester. And I have access to some consulting rooms in Milton Keynes if people around that area want to come and see me. Mm-hmm. But the Skype assessments really fit in with a lot of busy people. So they can finish their work, um, book an appointment, and you know just Skype it or sometimes Follow-up consultation can be done in phone, but Skype is much easier because you get to see the therapist and the person on the other side. And it gives them a lot of flexibility. They can do it from home or office or wherever they are. And before we conclude, the last thing I have to ask you today is Mm. there's been a dramatic rise in the diagnosis Mm. of, of ADHD in recent years. What would you put this down to? And why is it so mocked? You can hear some sometimes people say, oh, you know, we're just creating a label for everything now. So I'm just wondering what has caused uh, the rise of diagnosis in recent years. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's various different factors. Interesting. Um, 
as you mentioned in your like in the beginning, in actually the prevalence of ADHD in UK is around four percent, whereas I think in the US it's around four point three. So I think it's long underestimated the prevalence of ADHD in general population. If you look at something like a psychotic illness, is only one percent. So you're looking at ADHD being more prevalent than you know like a, some kind of serious illness like schizophrenia and things. But then the next bit is, as you said, the information available on internet and social media, and people are now more and more, you know, information savvy. They can easily find the right information they want. And I think schools and universities, what I find is also actually gearing up to help the kids who were previously labeled as naughty or not paying attention and disruptive. So people like educational psychologists working in universities and schools do help them to point towards the right direction. So I think it's a combination of various things, in my opinion, has helped people to get their difficulties sorted out rather than it's been overdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I know that for, for some of us listening, 4% doesn't sound like a lot. But if you think about the UK population alone, that works out to be yeah. something around 2.5 million. That's a lot of naughty exactly, school kids yeah. you, that need to Skype you to get their diagnosis. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and as I said to you, the diagnosis is one part, and some of my, you know, sort of clients, they come to me and say it's a relief that you know they know what is happening with them. That itself, sometimes they say it's a halfway, you know, treatment solution for them, knowing that okay, this is not something I don't know what I'm suffering from. I know what it is, and then they can go away and think about what kind of help they need. Yeah. So if you were naughty at school, either you had ADHD and you didn't know about it, or you were just plain naughty. And there's no diagnosis for that. <laughs> yes, and I think if they are able to look to school reports, talk to their family, friends, school teachers, they would know that they're just not being, as you said, plain naughty. If they have ADHD, there will be other symptoms to describe the word simply as naughty, as I said, being not attentive, or sometimes they will call us daydreamer, disruptive. Or what you usually see, interesting, is the teacher will make comment to say, this kid has potential, but because of such and such reason, they're not achieved the potential. That's very common yes. in school reports you see, that these people have high potential, but unfortunately, they haven't realized the potential because of the symptoms. And then, actually, I, I did say finally last time, but I do have one more thing. Once, sure, no problem. <laughs> once your patient takes the medication and then they report back to you how life-changing the treatment has been, that must make you feel extraordinary. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons I enjoy doing these clinics because, you know, as a clinician or a doctor, you know, there is not more than like you get this positive feedback from of your clients saying that, oh, you changed my life or things are so bad. It genuinely makes you feel happy and want to continue working. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that kind of, you know, that, that's almost like for the clinician is the most important thing to feel that a person is genuinely getting better with your help and support. Great. And how can we get in touch with you if we want to book a consultation? So for anyone who wants a consultation, as you said, it's the ADHD Centre. So it's adhdcentre.co.uk. Um, if you just Google it, it will come up easily. And it's a very simple website to navigate. Any doubts, you can always call one of the experienced receptionist ladies. They will be they're very, very helpful and flexible and they'll take it from there. Dr. Anand Raghunathan, it was a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thank you for sharing your inspiring insights. Thank you very much, Stephanie, and thank you for having me. Great. And thank you for all of the listeners on the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy people healthy.